I'm going to pray for us, and then Anna's going to bring us our first reading. Uh, Father, we do want to thank you for the miracle uh, of revelation, that we can actually know you. Uh, Lord, you are out of this world. Uh, you are entirely different to us. You are entirely holy, uh, and yet by your grace, uh, you take up things in this world, like Bibles and people and preaching, and you use those things to reveal yourself. And so we pray that you would do that again this evening. Lord, do not just reveal to us facts about you, but show us yourself. Reveal your glory to us, we pray, and transform us by it. Amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 32 on page 78. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain... They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Then Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Then he made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, then got up to play. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people have brought up from the land of Egypt and have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger can burn against them, and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses interceded with the Lord his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your great anger and relent concerning this disaster planned for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel. You swore to them by your very self and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, 
It's not the sound of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. As he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Then he took the calf they had made, burned it up and ground it into powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. Then Moses asked Aaron, What did these people do to you that you have led them into such a grave sin? Don't be enraged, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know that the people are intent on evil. They said to me, Make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. When I threw it into the fire, out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control, resulting in weakness before their enemies. And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites gathered around him. He told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every man fasten his sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from entrance to entrance, and each of you kill his brother, his friend, and his neighbour. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Afterward, Moses said, Today you have been vindicated to the Lord since each man went against his son and his brother. Therefore, you have brought a blessing on yourselves today. The following day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a god of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin. But if not, please erase me from the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, I will erase whoever has sinned against me from my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. See, my angel will go before you. But on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. And the Lord inflicted a plague on the people for what they did with the calf Aaron had made. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, and can be found on page 1064 of the Bibles. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. 
Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Hi. Uh, On Wednesday, I was sitting in a cafe uh, just around the corner here, and uh, I sat next to these people who talked about coffee for half an hour. It's quite impressive. Um, perhaps something to do with aroma, I'm not sure. Uh, then that evening, uh, I went for a jog, and uh, twice I jogged past people who were talking about their dogs, um, the breed, their temperament, uh, how many dogs their neighbours had. You can tell it wasn't running very fast. Um, then Thursday night, I went to the rock climbing gym, as I do from time to time, and um, I was chatting with some people, and they go to the rock climbing gym almost every night of the week. Uh, and spend their time trying to climb up these little pieces of plastic that someone screwed onto the wall. Uh, Now, I love climbing. I really do. Uh, I like dogs. Um, I understand some people like coffee. Um, But, you know, these experiences, these three experiences, just left me just so thankful to God that I have something in my life that's really big, you know, something actually substantial, significant, um, something downright glorious. Tonight, um, we're going to be looking at Exodus, and we're going to read a part where Moses sees God's glory. Um, You can't imagine that, right? It's just can't even imagine what that involved. He was confronted with this kind of God's overwhelming, humbling reality. And yet, by faith in Jesus, friends, we are looking at that same glory. So Paul's actually got Moses in mind during that second reading when he says, we all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. We see the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ as we look at him. Um, Friends, my hope for this evening, my prayer is that as we spend this time looking at Jesus and and at God's work in Exodus, that we will once again behold God's glory a little more completely, a little more closely, um, and that by his grace and power we would be transformed by it from glory to glory. Well, this evening uh, I have just three points. Um, The glorious God rejected. We'll look at uh, the whole golden calf thing from Exodus 32. Please open to Exodus 32. That'll be helpful. Um, Then we'll look at the glorious God and his mediator. We'll see how God responds to this rejection. uh, And that's where we're going to see his glory revealed. And it might be surprising. It might surprise you what his glory actually consists of. And then finally, we're going to look at the glory of God in the face of Christ under the heading, The Glorious God and Us. But first, the glorious God rejected. Uh, In the chapter we just had read to us, God is straight out rejected, right? 
Israel were his baby, his creation. They're what he's been working for, towards for, right from Genesis 3. He loved Israel. In fact, just a few weeks ago, they tied the knot. They kind of had this marriage-type ceremony in, in, in um, Exodus 19 to 24, where he accepted them as his people, and they accepted him as their God. And during the events of the golden calf worshipping, God's actually on the mountain with Moses, figuring out the plans for how he's going to dwell with them. God's moving in with his people. But before the marital bedsheets are even tucked in, his people are unfaithful. They build this golden calf. And so they break the first commandment. You shall have no other gods besides me. They're doing something that all the nations around them do. Just being like the rest of the world. And they have the hide to call this cow the Lord, Yahweh. And say that it's the thing that rescued them out of Egypt. And the festival that you read about in verses 5 to 6 there in chapter 32, almost every detail of it is copied from uh, Exodus 19 to to 24, from from their actual wedding ceremony, from their wedding reception, perhaps you'd call it. It's a copy. They're now covenanting with a calf. They've given up on Yahweh, and they're covenanting with a bovine. After all, he's done for them. His rescue, his care, his provision, his plans for them and their future. They were going to be a kingdom of priests to the world. But their conclusion is, he's not worth trusting. Like we've seen throughout the rest of the book, they just don't want to listen to him. And the result is, wedding's off. Covenant is off. You see verse 7 there, chapter 32, verse 7. The Lord, back in chapter 19, had been saying, these are my possession. But here he says, go down at once for your people. You brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They're no longer his people. And just to make it absolutely clear, the stone tablets that God had written himself with the words of the covenant, Moses takes them to the bottom of the mountain and just... Smashes them. Rips up the wedding certificate. The covenant is off. God is so angry at his people. But what he says here is, he's just going to destroy them. That's it. So why do they do it? Have a look at verse 1 with me. Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain. What, that's it? That's it. He's just a bit slow. You see, Moses is actually the people's connection with God. Um, He's their mediator. And as soon as he's out of the picture for a moment, well, they find themselves turning to some other God, some other thing that's going to go before them and actually kind of secure life for them. Actually bring them blessing. And friends, let me say, this will be the same for us. It is the same for us. 
As we find ourselves looking away from Jesus, our mediator, we will look to other things. We do look to other things for our kind of, um, uh, to go before us, to, to, to secure life for us, to bring us blessing. It's my job that's going to get me ahead in life. If I was just married, then I'd I'd be living. That'd be life. Like I said, I was at the climbing gym this week, and I found myself thinking, just like the others, if I could just do this little climb, then I'd really be living. How How can God bear the way we keep looking out, out, off to other gods, other things, stupid things. I mean, rock climbing, pff, come on. Jobs, a golden calf. Well, it's into this situation that God actually works uh, his glory out. He shows us his glory. The glorious God and his mediator. A uh, second point. Because God's glory is worked out and displayed through a mediator, Moses. Um, The idea of a mediator is pretty key for the Bible. It's what the priests did. They kind of um, represent God to the people and the people to God. I didn't know this, but apparently there's professional mediators. Um, They call themselves uh, dispute resolution practitioners. How's that? Um, It's a little bit like um, your waste management technicians. Uh, You know who they are. Um, and I heard this week of uh, wet leisure assistants. That's a lifeguard, apparently. So Moses is acting as a dispute resolution practitioner at this point. And we see that his work, his mediation, uh, is absolutely dependent on God, on God's character. If he's going to be successful in his conflict resolution, dispute resolution, uh, it's going to depend on God's character. And we see this mediation in three rounds uh, over the, the chapters that we're covering from 32 to 34. Uh, so the first one was read for us, um, and it is survival by calling on God's character. So like we've seen, uh, God was actually, the plan was to destroy his people. So Moses steps into the breach. Um, his basic plea is, God, be who you've shown yourself to be. Be who you are. So in chapter 32, verse 11, he says, You rescued them. These people are your people. And in verse 12, Think of your name, Yahweh. Think of your honor. And then verse 13, What about your promises? So you see the media just calling on God's character, depending on God's character. And that's actually successful. In verse 14, the Lord relents. He's not going to destroy them. That's a good start. But Moses isn't done yet. There's uh, round two. Um, The promises by a risk on God's character. Have a look at verse 30 with me. Chapter 32, verse 30. So we see the beginning of round two. Uh, The following day, Moses said to the people, You've committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. Perhaps. Perhaps I'll be able to cover over your sin. Make amends for it. How's he going to do that? 
Well, we read on. It's a little bit like Jesus uh, from verse 31. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They've made a God out of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. So he asks to be treated just like the people. God, if you're not going to forgive them, if you're going to you know, write them out of your book, the story you're writing, if, if, this, if this is the end for them, then me too. Blot me out of your book too. What goes for them goes for me. Have you ever seen those, um, those mountaineers when they go off to climb a mountain, they sort of tie themselves together with a rope? We die together or we live together. That's kind of the idea. That's what's happening here with Moses. It's a massive sacrifice, isn't it? Or at least a willingness, a massive willingness to sacrifice himself. But because of God's character, it's a successful one. You see, God is just. He's not going to blot Moses out of his book, not a chance. Moses is on safe ground. And so by tying himself to the rest of his people, they're on safe ground as well. And because God is faithful, he's going to keep his promise. And so in verse 34, God says to Moses, Okay, go. Lead, uh, sorry, lead the people to the place I told you about. See, my angel will go before you. So God's not going to destroy them. In fact, he's going to keep his promise to all of them. Good mediating, Moses. But, but, the rest of that verse went on to say, but on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. And chapter 33, verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. You can have the promise, but you can't have me. You can have my stuff, but not me. Why not? Well, because they're stiff-necked. Now, they've sinned once, they'll sin again, and God may well break out in anger against them and destroy them. You see, the problem here is that Moses' atonement was incomplete. He managed to get God to turn his anger away from them. But he did nothing about the sin. The actual sin was still there, and they'd sin again. He's basically asked God just to sweep that under the carpet. Just absorb it. Take the hurt and just don't do anything. Um, if you're into technical terms, Moses has achieved a kind of temporary propitiation, but no expiation. The sin is not expiated. It's still there. And so God won't go with them. He won't do it. They can have his stuff, but not his presence. Well, that brings us to the third round, because for Moses, that's not good enough. He doesn't want to just have God's stuff. He wants God. So look with me 
uh, chapter 33, verse uh, 15. Sorry, verse 13. Moses says, Now if I have indeed found favour in your sight, please teach me your ways, and I will know you and find favour in your sight. Now consider that this nation is your people. God, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to see how you work. And don't forget your people. And then in verse 15, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us up from here. Who are we without you? Now we need to pause for a second and just think, what is Moses actually asking of God here? He's actually, what he's asking for is actually a complete renewal of the covenant. He's asking God to re-accept them as his people, even though they've been faithless. What's that going to involve? What's Moses really asking God to do? Well, God said he's not going to go with them because they'll sin and he'll destroy them. Moses is asking, go with us and don't destroy us. In other words... Go with us and keep sweeping our sin under the carpet. God, come with us and keep forgetting the ways that we offend you. Keep taking it on the chin and being faithful to us. Keep being faithful and close to us even when we're unfaithful and offend you. Do you see what he's asking? That's a crazy request. Who would agree to that? But verse 17, the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you've asked. I will do it. See the heart of our God? See what he's like? My presence will go with you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. But Moses pushes harder again. (laughs) You see, Moses says, can I get that in writing? Can I get a demo? Your whole character right now? Verse 18, please let me see your glory. Where does this guy get off? (laughs) He just asks so much. He wants to see God's glory now. The kind of the visual representation of God's essence, God who God is, his character. But verse 19, God says, Well, okay. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name Yahweh uh, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. I do notice there that God's glory, the thing Moses has asked for, is is more or less the same as his, his character, his name, his goodness. Uh, now, this is a big moment. A big moment to see God's glory. And some preparations need to be made for this uh, because it's not just a special moment for Moses. Um, This is actually the renewal of the covenant, the complete renewal. I wonder, have any of you um, been to a vow renewal ceremony? It's kind of like a wedding, but it's not. Uh, In fact, it's exactly the same as a wedding, but without being a wedding. It's just a renewal of the vows that have been made. I ran one of these a little while ago, and I was told, uh, legally, 
You must make it clear to everyone in the congregation that this is not a wedding. It's not a new thing. It's the same thing. That was very tricky in my experience because most of the congregation didn't speak English. Uh, and they were wearing like white dress. It looked very much like a wedding, um, but it wasn't. That's what's happening here. Um, it's not a new covenant that's happening here. Um, God's actually recommitting himself to the thing that they'd had before. So you'll notice that in the preparations that are made. Have a look at chapter 34, verse 1 to 3. You'll notice they're very much the same as, as, as chapter 19 to 20, where the first covenant was made. So chapter 34, the Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first ones, which you broke. Be prepared by morning like last time. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop like last time. No one may go up with you. In fact, no one must be seen anywhere on the mountain, even if the flocks and herds are not to, uh, are not to graze in front of that mountain. Sound familiar? exactly the same as last time. And then notice with me, uh, chapter 35, um, the second heading in that chapter, building the tabernacle. That's just what he was planning before this whole golden calf thing. Um, He's going to move in with them. He's going to go through with it, um, just like as if nothing had ever happened. Uh, Why would he do this? Why would God actually recommit to this covenant. He knows what the future's going to hold. He knows they're going to treat him like dirt. He knows he's going to be offended. He's going to be hurt all the time. Why would he do this? Well, there's only one reason. It's the same reason that um, Moses has been basing all his mediation on the whole time. The only reason is who God is, his character. So read with me these words from chapter 34, verse 5. This is major words for the Bible. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with Moses there, and proclaimed his name Yahweh. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and truth maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin, that he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Friends, that, that, that there is the only reason God does it. The only reason that sinful people, you and I, can be in a relationship with God is because that is what he's like. That is his character. Indeed, that is his glory. And as we look to Jesus, isn't that the glory we see in the face of Christ? Isn't that exactly the character of God we see when we look at Jesus? Jesus is our great mediator and God. You see, what, what's Jesus doing when he, when he takes on flesh? He's moving in with sinners, right? That's exactly what he's doing. And it's permanent. You and I, Christian people, enjoy a new covenant relationship with, with God, and it's permanent. 
You see, no longer is there any danger that is suddenly going to break out against us and destroy us when we sin. No. Because Jesus has actually dealt with our sin. There is no perhaps in Jesus' ability to atone for us. But you see, what, Moses kind of temporarily turned God's anger away from his people, but he didn't deal with the sin. It kind of got swept under the carpet. God just kind of absorbed it and took it into himself. But when we get to Jesus, all the hurt, the rebellion of God's people in, in Exodus 32 all of the sins that they committed from Exodus 32 right through to the time of Jesus, all of the hurt, all of our unfaithfulness, all the ways we offend him, it all gets brought out from under the carpet and placed on Jesus' shoulders and he bears it, our mediator and God. And he is blotted out of God's book. No future in this world. And so finally, God does absorb all of the hurt and offense that we caused him and that Israel caused him. <laughs> Why? Why would he do that for you, for me? Because that's his glory. That's what he's like. It's a strange glory, isn't it? It's not like the glory of our world. I usually think of glory as being something like power or um, fame or holiness and purity. But that's kind of the world's view of glory. And God subverts that. He turns it upside down because his glory is that despite the fact that he is powerful and famous and holy, despite those things, he covenants with sinners. He connects himself and commits himself to sinful creatures like us. That's the glory we see so clearly in Jesus. Friends, if that is the glory of God, I wonder if your view of God needs to change. I wonder if that adjusts it a bit. Friends, the question, friends, the question I want to ask you is, have you seen that glory? Have you beheld it? Have you experienced this glory? Have you tasted this rich mercy and forgiveness that none of your sins put you beyond the reach of this mercy? Have you tasted that? Have you experienced God's faithful love through the years? And if you have, then it's very exciting to know that you are being changed. You're being transformed. Your view of what is glorious, significant, valuable, precious, is changing. So that what you think is actually um, worth pursuing, what you think is actually good, is being transformed. And you yourself are becoming more glorious. So to Corinthians... Um, as we look at his glory, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. 
we become like the glory we behold. I don't know about you, but I feel like that's kind of exciting for me. You know, and that leaves me actually wanting to have Moses' kind of attitude. Did you notice his attitude? After this second round of um, mediating, God said to him, I'm going to keep my promise. You, you can go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that sounds pretty good to me. Well, I mean, what else could you ask for? Well, you could ask for God. <laughs> That's what Moses does. He's not happy with just uh, some stuff. He wants God. He wants more of God. Who am I without you? Teach me your ways. I want to know you, says Moses. Uh, instead, I was talking to um, a believer recently who's, who's losing hope in Christianity. Why? Because she's, she's trusting and trusting but she's not getting what she wants, the stuff she wants. I went and did a talk at my old church yesterday, um, and there's lots of believers at that church who, um, they go to church because they just don't, they don't want to go to hell, they want heaven. You see the problem there? You see, they want stuff, not God, and that belittles God. In fact, the stuff has become their God like golden cows. And I've got to say, friends, all too often, I am just the same as that. I want stuff, not God. But as I read through this, as I think about God's glory, you know what I do? I want more of that. I want to have Moses' attitude to just want God. Because, yes, the material blessings of following Jesus will be absolutely breathtaking. They will be. But they are not the main game. The main thing is we get God. We can enjoy his glory, him. And so I want to ask you again, have you seen that glory? Or to put it in slightly different words, have you got the mediator? Have you got Jesus? Because, friends, you do not want to appear before our God without a mediator. Did you notice the involvement that people had, the Israelites had, uh, in getting right with God in our passage? Did you notice it? It wasn't there. I hope you didn't notice it because it wasn't there. They did nothing. They sinned. The mediator Moses and God sorted out. That's it. We can do nothing. We can't fix the problem. And when you realize that, it's wonderfully freeing, isn't it? My salvation is 100% tied up between my mediator, Jesus, and his Father. Friends, that's why I can pray for you all, as I do each week, with great confidence. I pray that we just stick with Jesus, because he's got it sorted out. He takes broken people, and he commits to being their God, even as they stumble and fall. He's absorbed their rebellion in, into himself. At the cross, Jesus takes our rebellion upon himself and gets blotted out of God's book so that you and I can be written into it. That is his glory. Hallelujah. One of the results um, 
of Jesus' mediation for us is that we can confess our sin freely and confidently. And so we're actually going to do that now. We're going to pray this confession that's coming up on the screen. Um, Most of the time I'll say the beginning bit and you can respond, but then towards the end we'll say a bit together. Let's pray together, confessing our sins with confidence. Gracious God, we've come to see that our lives fall far short of your glory. Have mercy and forgive us. You have given your Son for us and poured out your Spirit, yet we fail to return your love with all our heart. Have mercy and change us. Too often we are selfish and proud, ignoring you, Lord, and neglecting others. Have mercy and cleanse us. When we do not truly trust and obey you, we are overwhelmed by self-pity, fear, and worry. Have mercy and deliver us. In Christ, we are given a sure hope and secure love, yet we follow the false hopes and desires of this world. Have mercy and renew us. Father, through the redeeming death of your Son, by your Spirit and through your Word, enable us to follow you with joy. All this we ask, confident of your faithfulness and love. Amen. I'm just going to pray for us briefly. Father, we just do want to thank you so much for your character. Uh, your strange, strange glory. Um, For the way you forgive us, uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you so much that we can come before you now, uh, the way that we could uh, just bow before you and confess our our failings. Um, And yet because of your character, we we can do that with confidence. We can actually find rest in that. For your glory is in your compassion, in your grace, in your faithful love to sinful people. And for this, we give you thanks and praise. Amen.